Today is Tuesday, November 23rd. The title for our devotional is Story of Reconstruction, Accomplishment for Calling. Remember, this week for our devotional, we're beginning with a short Bible reading, then we'll follow that with a story of reconstruction. Today our Bible reading comes from John chapter 1. We've looked at the story of John the Baptist and how John the Baptist had achieved great success in his ministry and his calling. But when the time came for Jesus and his influence to rise, John the Baptist was joyful in following his calling to begin to fade out of the public space. And his effectiveness waned while Jesus increased. So let's read that story now beginning in John 1.19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, Then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Finally they said, Who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Then later, John is asked about Jesus taking John's followers. In John three twenty-six to 30, we read, They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, the man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him, and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater, I must become less. So for additional content today, I have recorded an interview with my wife Savannah to hear her story of being driven to achieve and how she has grown to find contentment and peace in her calling. Enjoy. All right. Hey, everyone. We are back with another story of reconstruction. Remember this week, we're just talking through some stories of reconstruction with folks in the church and some folks who don't attend our church. But um, we just want to hear some stories that will help cement some of these ideas that we've been talking about throughout this campaign. Um, So today I'm here with my lovely wife, Savannah, and we are talking about um, accomplishment for calling. So, uh, 
Well, yes, as I've already said, Savannah is my wife. So if you sense a, if you sense a strong chemistry coming <laughs> through your radio waves, it's not through the radio; it's a podcast. But uh, that's that's what it is. So mm-hmm. if you're, in case you're sensing that, I just figured I'd get out in front of it. <laughs> um, so, babe, can you tell us your just briefly your your story of some of the different um, majors that you went through in college and some of the different careers that you've had since then? Sure. So um, initially when I started out, I was pre-med and I came from a background. It was heavily, heavily encouraged to be successful in academics and not necessarily money oriented, but, um, or driven, but uh, the careers that were encouraged were also um, financially successful and things like that. So I was originally pre-med. I did well and enjoyed things um, up until I had one professor who will remain unnamed, (laughs) but you had her too. She made things very difficult. Um, I was still able to excel in her class, but we just had multiple run-ins and I was forced to decide, do I want to continue with this program? or try something else. And um, I think if I had felt really strongly convicted to follow pre-med for one reason or another, I would have definitely stuck it out. But I was also feeling like, well, maybe I can try some other things. So um, I went on to education. Um, I have a high uh, passion for um, kids in the inner cities. And so even when I was pre-med, I had I wanted to be like an urban doctor or have like a large philanthropic bent in my doctor's practice or office or whatever. Um, So I thought maybe um, in education I could still accomplish that purpose of um, being in a successful career, but using it for something good. So then I went on to psychology, which I thought maybe that could be a good marrying of my um, ideals of helping people and inner city um, reform and assistance and that passion, but also um, all the like statistics and research and science that I enjoyed as well. I thought maybe I could marry those two. And again, I really enjoyed my classes. I excelled at it, but I just felt like that wasn't you know, still wasn't it. So then I moved on to social sciences, um, which was much more broad. And um, all my uh, previous work in education, science, statistics, physics, all of those courses still went towards my major. Um, And then I was also able to take business classes and management courses and things like that. And I think the broader range of... um, skill sets and interests was better represented in that major. And it also allowed me to do a dual degree um, where I got my master's in bioethics. And what do you do for work now? Uh, Well, I'm a data and accounting specialist for a nonprofit organization called the Wisconsin eSchool Network. I have a very versatile role where I do a lot of Excel nerding out and (laughs) (laughs) spreadsheets, but also a lot of talking to people, listening to people, figuring things out, trying to problem solve and all towards a really good cause of helping um, kids across Wisconsin have 
more equitable access to education. And going back to your college days, I can, can personally attest to uh, how you excelled in everything that you did. Um, <laughs> my, <laughs> one, you. Of, one of our favorite stories is uh, we, we took abnormal psychology together and every test, every paper, like everything that we did, Savannah would just get a little bit better score than me on everything. And it's not like my scores were bad. They were they were A's and B's. They were right up there. And then it was, I think, the final or the midterm or something. I don't remember. The we took final. The final. Um, we took this test, and I got my paper back. We were sitting right next to each other. I got my test back first, and I looked at it. It was a 98. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm totally going to just crush her. And um, yours came. There. Yours came a couple of seconds later, and I looked over, and what you got a hundred mm-hmm. yeah. on it. Yeah. I was furious, <laughs> absolutely furious. Because in everything, you're just a little bit better than me. And if if you know us, we're we're a little bit competitive, and you can see it in no, our kids. Not at all. <laughs> if you don't see it in us, you'll see it in our kids. So Savannah uh, has excelled in school, and that that pattern that was that I only saw in college when we first started dating was definitely a part of your life early on. And as you mentioned at the beginning of your previous answer, um, that was a trait built kind of built into your culture and your family, your mom comes from a Chinese culture. Mm-hmm. Your father or your grandfather was born in China. Um, so can you talk a little bit about how that cultural, that cultural value of excellence and exceeding in school um, played into your formation in your life? Yeah, um, I think it is a fairly well-known, I guess, stereotype um, that Chinese American culture has a high priority on excellence, especially in academics and um, music. So my mom definitely had a huge influence in um, instilling that value in me. I think it also helped that it did come naturally to me. So not only was it highly encouraged and valued at home, but it just, it came easily to me to be successful in school. I was probably definitely a teacher's pet. Uh, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was heavily, heavily um, pushed at home and, and I became, I enjoyed it um, because it was, I was good at it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So about that upbringing, obviously there's a there's a good side of that, encouraging you to succeed, driving you to to be to do the best that you can do with the gifts that God has given you. Um, so, how did you see like the good side of that balance out with what were some of the negative consequences or some of the negative things that maybe you didn't foresee at the time? But looking back, you can see how those things shaped you. Yeah, I think, like you mentioned, I think there's some there's some positives um, for sure, being that they're good things to value. I mean, trying to do your best at something and excelling in school, which is such a huge part of your, of youth (laughs) while you're not an adult yet, that those are important um, values and they're important to learn those skills. And then it kind of sets you up for success later on. But probably the downfall for me was twofold. I think I didn't really know who I was outside of academic and extracurricular success. Like that was my identity. If I didn't get a good grade or, you know, I performed in a way that was not standard, I just felt like I failed 
really badly. It didn't happen a ton. And I don't say that like pridefully, it just really didn't. Um, but there are some occasions that I can look back and, you know, actually when I didn't pursue pre-med, my parents were pretty disappointed and I was really disappointed in myself, even though I felt like it was the right thing. So I think, yeah, trying to disentangle my personal identity with that and also, um, being okay with making a mistake and learning from it. Those were things I had to learn. What was that learning process like? How was the disentangling of your personal identity from your accomplishment and achievements? What was, what was that like for you? It definitely didn't happen overnight. I think there were just, when we were first married and the first couple years of us living up here, um, I think was sort of an identity crisis for me. I was not, um, career wise, financially wise, geographically wise, um, at all where I thought that I would be. Um, I had always envisioned living near a city, if not in directly in a big city. Like I mentioned, I always had a passion for urban kiddos and just the struggles that they face. And so, you know, moving here, even though we, I knew it was the right thing that played into, um, that process. And, you know, we were, (laughs) pretty broke (laughs) initially. Um, and again, that really butted heads with my, um, even subconscious ideas of what I would be doing after college. And then what I was actually doing job wise, which was basically just finding anything I could up here and making ends meet, uh, with three different jobs and also a newborn and, not owning a house yet and all those things <clears throat> kind of chipped away at my preformed identity and really made me think like, okay, why are we here? Why am I doing the jobs that I'm doing? Why, you know, all these different things. And it helped me reshift my priorities and my values so that I could um, see how they aligned with who I was and why I was doing what I was doing. You have any stories or anything like specific that finally realized it or whatever and came to be at peace with it. Nothing jumps out at me in particular, which almost made it worse. It was not worse, but harder. Mm -hmm. I think it would have been easier for me if I had had some definitive moment where someone walked over to me in church and said, God has a word for you and gave me this long, you know, word of prophecy over me or something. Instead, it was sort of this slow fade of what I thought I was and would have and would be and this slow realization over time of God just softly whispering to me throughout my experiences and throughout my frustrations and throughout my quiet time and um, even using small comments from other people or passages that would just, you know, or sermons um, and books that I would read. So I mean, I wouldn't even say I'm there yet. (laughs) There's still lots of things that I am discontented in, but that still small voice concept that we, that we hear a lot attributed to the Holy Spirit, I think is, is truly what over the last 10 years has helped me solidify and renew my mind into thinking correctly about myself and about like my experiences and interactions with those around me. Not only were you, I already asked you about your upbringing, your culture, your cultural heritage, um, but you're also an Enneagram 3. 
<laughs> so um, why don't you explain what that means? Because you'll do a better job than I will. You're the, the former psychology sociology major. <laughs> explain what that means a little bit and tell us how that influenced your your spiritual growth and formation, especially in this conversation around achievement and calling. Yeah, so I am a three wing four, um, which is the professional. So three is the achiever type and then your wings, the subtypes or whatever. Um, four is the individualist who you know, appreciates authenticity and things like that. So a three wing four tends to be a little bit more um, reserved than a th- than other three types and um, really focused on professional success or at least being an expert in their field or something like that. So um, that right there can probably illustrate why it's so important to me um, and how how that's been a struggle personally. But I think a weird thing about threes is that we're sort of chameleons in that whatever success means to you in the family you of origin you were born into or the family that you take on or your subculture around you or your whatever it means to you in the little piece of pie that you live in, then that is success. So it's good, I guess, that I was born into a family that considered good things successful. The hard thing, I think, with threes is, again, kind of figuring out like how much is externally enforced upon you and how much is intrinsically what you, who you actually are, who God created you to be, what skills and desires he actually gave you. Um, And because I was... I experienced, you know, um, a decent amount of success in a lot of different things. It was really hard for me to narrow that down and say, you know, okay, what is God, what is God calling me to do? I think I've, I've had lots of moments where I was, I would pray and just be like, God, seriously, all I want is to know what you want me to do and I'll do it. And I never have gotten a clear cut answer. And I think for me, I think some people do get that from God, but I think honestly, for me, he has not given me that straightforward answer because part of my journey of discovering things is doing that work of figuring out who I actually am in him and what I actually long to do. What are the um, desires of my heart when I look at it from a biblical perspective, not just like selfish desires, but um, what are those things that God has truly gifted me with and um, placed on my heart. Being an Enneagram 3, <laughs> what you just shared about how some of the the identity questions and the identity work that you had to do and work through around this uh, topic of accomplishment and what God has called you to do, how is that more of a challenge for you? What were some of the what were some of the thoughts running through your head through that time of recognizing that your identity has to be disassociated, disconnected? from your accomplishment, from your work, um, and from all of your successes mm-hmm. or failures. Yeah. I mean, I guess I can't necessarily speak for how it differentiates from others' journeys, but it was definitely very, and is still at times, very difficult for me to separate my value and worth and identity um, from what I have accomplished or what I have done. When I was younger, I would have a really hard, I used to journal, prayer journal all the time. And I noticed um, when I would read back and reflect that my 
I would often forego journaling if I felt I was, if I had just done something wrong or if I was really struggling in some way. And then I would come back and I would like say all these apologies for this, you know, to God, I'd be journaling out like, I'm so sorry for doing this and blah, 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 blah. blah. And I just, I kept noticing that there was this pattern that I wouldn't come to him until I felt like I had figured something out or I was no longer really struggling in reflecting over those journal entries and things. I did come to, I started realizing that I felt like I was not worth that God wouldn't want to listen to me until I had figured something out or I had something to offer him. So, I mean, I still struggle with that, but I've obviously, now that I know that I do that, that's something that I try to, you know, that's a lie, <laughs> obviously. Um, and so I, I try to actively work against that lie, but that is certainly something that most likely other threes, I would say, I mean, I'm sure many people experience that, but certainly if you put your value in your success or your accomplishments, then you're fighting a lie that you're nothing without them. That's really good. I want to kind of go back to what you said before about how when you've been praying for God to call you to, to give you a clear direction of where to go and what to do. And, and I love what you said about how it was, it was kind of, I think that's really profound the way you said it, how it's God hasn't given you a clear cut answer. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. But mm-hmm. in a lot of that, you've kind of just been like uncovering who you are a little more so mm-hmm. and trying to figure all of that out. So what have you learned in that, in that process of going through Praying, asking God for giving you clear direction, not not necessarily receiving a clear specific answer, um, doing the hard identity work in that time. What has that taught you, whether it's about God or your calling or about just who you are? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think in one sense, um, I, I was asking for an easy way out because if we believe God has directly told us to do something, you know, you don't really need to do a lot of soul searching or, or really any work, (laughs) just doing something that he directly told you to do. Um, so I, I think, uh, in, in one respect, it's, um, learning to do the hard, long work of something, um, which is, something that I don't think comes easily to a young person or a person of immature spiritual formation, um, both of which I was in my, in, in high school or college. Um, so I think, I think that's part of it is just learning that sometimes you have to do this kind of grueling, not fun discipline of the daily grind. (laughs) Sometimes it feels like of, uh, just, doing the housework and learning to do that with a good attitude, doing, you know, a job, doing the best I can and like looking around me to see who my coworkers are and how I can help them or how I can be there for them, encountering my everyday life and letting God dictate that. Mm-hmm. And I also think a big thing for a three is in particular is um, I'm, I'm constantly fighting I guess for lack of better wording, uh, boredom. I just, I think there's a lot of character development for me in particular that comes from being content where you are and being content, not having some goal that you're, you know, constantly driving for because it's a tangible, knowable thing, but instead 
taking every day and every opportunity that God puts in my path that day that I didn't plan for um, and didn't strategize and isn't on my, you know, goal whiteboard list. That for me is a very stretching experience. And it was, it is still something that I'm working on is that contentment piece and allowing myself to be excited by the things that excite God, which can be very mundane and ordinary sounding to the human ear. Yeah. I think a lot of that has to do with what we talk about often uh, in our personal conversations is like the messages that we received as growing up of change the world and Mm -hmm. there's big lofty visions of like, I can do all of this. And what we think is I'll be like Elon Musk with $10 billion to do whatever (laughs) I want to change the world with. And then when we come into reality and find like that wasn't God's plan for us, we, we learn to be content in the mundane. I love, I love the way you said that. So if you could just like keep, keep talking on that, how, how you've learned to be, to be content in what God has called you to. Maybe, maybe if you don't have the whole big picture filled out of like, what's he going to call me to in 10 years? In 15 years, my, my retirement plan of God's <laughs> calling, I've got, it, I've got the roadmap laid out. Mm-hmm. Um, how, do you find, how do you find peace, contentment? How do you find purpose? in the day-to-day things and just following God um, in the day-to-day. I think if I had a set way to say that in a concise way that worked for everybody, I would probably make a decent amount of money off of marketing that. <laughs> There's That's a, a book. lofty There's a answer. book to be written there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, for me, which I certainly have not arrived, but for me, some of the things that work are um, I try to start my day by doing a devotional or praying. So literally the first thing I do when I wake up and I'm even still in bed and half awake, um, I've had to really work against like picking up, doing, opening an app or picking up a book or think even just sitting there and thinking about everything I want to do today and strategizing on my day. Um, I start it by saying like, good morning, Lord, I love you. And just, thinking about him and talking to him and whatever that looks like. Actually start with your devotional usually. (laughs) (laughs) Little little, plug right there. Yeah, shameless plug. Um, But truly for me, when I get my mind right from the very beginning, that really, really helps me um, zoom out and have that perspective. Because when when I can think about it globally, then um, the fact that I don't have this set plan that I'm chasing is much more palatable for me because it reminds me it is not all about me and I may have the grandest plan. And when it's compared with the scope of um, the awesomeness of the kingdom of God, it's actually really nothing. And so just that bird's eye perspective first thing in the morning really helps. So for me, praying is um, huge for me to have the right perspective of the day and perspective of the people around me, perspective of my kids. It's so much easier for me to view my job as valuable because there's people in it that God cares about and who are image bearers of Christ um, when I'm when I'm praying for them. It's much easier for me to attribute value to them and to the job when I might not otherwise have um, when I'm consistently praying for them. My, you know, home it's a good example of something that is not how I 
if I could have given my ideal house, it wouldn't be probably what we live in right now. Um, super grateful for it. I love our neighborhood. There's lots of amazing things about it. Um, but I can't, you know, host things. I can't, um, I've always dreamed of fostering. We don't have an extra home. Um, I would love to be able to care for my parents someday if that need ever comes and we don't have that availability. Um, you know, so there's a lot of shortcomings in my mind and yet, you know, God has the power to have given us a much bigger house that is great for all those things. And, and he didn't. Um, and so in those moments where the sovereignty of God, meaning the reality of what he's given me now conflicts with what I would have imagined or wanted for myself or dreamed for myself, even when they're all really good things. Like nothing I said just now was, you know, to make myself look great or, you know, to get props for making enough money to have this beautiful, you know, like I had good reasons for wanting more property, but the reality is God hasn't given that to me right now. And so, um, reckoning that with my own desires and things is where that contentment is one. I think it's just a journey of continually like making my values align with what Jesus wants me to value and what he has given me. And sometimes I don't understand his reasoning or answers or what he's done or isn't doing or, you know, and I have to just trust that he's sovereign and his plan is best. Well, you said it really well. I think that's a pretty good place to leave it. (laughs) Thanks.